I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Podcast name played nobody. My name is Stephen Godfrey. You can reach me at 38Godfrey. Instagram, Twitter. I'm part of the Banner Society at Banner Society. You know, I ask my coworkers, I say, I want to talk about what you guys are doing. And then no one ever gets back to me in time for me to record the show intro. So I'm just going to scroll through the Banner Society real fast and promote my coworkers who are too mean-spirited to say, hey, I want to help you on podcast name played nobody promote the show. Um, if you are listening to this this week, and I hope you are, because we have a very dated episode coming up. It's a tasting menu. You guys who listen to tasting menus two weeks after the fact, it's very serial killer-esque. I don't like it. Um, check out Spencer Hall's new essay on the Auburn Tigers being college football's great ruiner of things. That's up on the main Banner Society page. Obviously, we have our podcasts. I will be doing Instagram for Olds again for week 12 this Saturday at Banner Society on Instagram. Uh, a couple things. I did the Right Time podcast with Bomani Jones. That's been up for a week, so you should have listened to it by now. Go listen to that. It's on the ESPN podcast stuff. I don't know. You'll figure it out. Uh, I'm still on the American Game, the CFB 150 documentary on, that airs on ESPN every Tuesday. It's on their on-demand thing. Um, I apparently yelled that Alabama LSU 2007 sucked like really loudly like that on the show. I don't know why they didn't air, edit that out, but whatever. That's just the quality I bring to the worldwide leader. Um, around here, please subscribe to the Read Option newsletter. Please, 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 please. Um, I will have an announcement for an appearance uh, next week's show. For uh, We're going to do something connected to a game this season. I will let you all know. Uh, the only hint is I can I won't have to fly there. How's that? There, there's my hint. I'll come back next week with more details on that. Um, uh, this is the Week 12 tasting menu i don't know how many times i have to apologize to you minnesota people i'm sorry i get it it's fine i still want you to listen to my podcast but we may or may not talk about how iowa is going to beat you i'm sorry here's the tasting menu gentlemen welcome to the tasting menu for week 12 let's jump right into it thursday november 14th 6 p.m central god's time zone cbs sports network buffalo goes to kent state at 7 p.m. on ESPN, you have North Carolina at Pitt. Okay. Anyone would just want to go straight to Friday? or? Yeah, it's good with me. All right, cool. Bud, you uh, you feel good about going straight to Friday? Yeah, uh, Pitt needs to beat UNC if it wants to keep its division hopes alive at all for the Coastal. The other net, nope. Let's just go to Friday. Feels good to me. All right, let's go to Friday. Louisiana Tech. We're going to talk about Louisiana Tech in a second. They go to Marshall at 6 p.m. again on CBS Sports Network. And then at 8.30 p.m. on ESPN2, Fresno State goes to San Diego State. Um, one thing that we will, note, we will note very briefly, Bud, San Diego State uh, could – this is – San Diego State could put itself in the Mountain West Championship with this game. Yeah, it, it really helps them kind of get a uh, strong grip on that division. And, uh, yeah, Fr- Fresno uh, needs to win this game, I think, for its program uh, to show continued momentum. So. A little slower, a little slower on the development side. Uh, not as much momentum as last year at, at Fresno State. We haven't really talked about that much this year. They came out like a house of fire. Jeff Tedford felt like such a good natural fit. They, they've tapered off a little bit. Anyone paid attention to that? Class? Too much success Anybody? too early, or what? Mm, Unsustainable the uh, amount, of, amount of close wins last year. Yeah, R- sometimes progression it's just the coming. All right, uh, Richard, sir, tell me a little bit about this Louisiana Tech Bulldogs team, if only because. They have a really good record. Uh, they are my pick right now to win the Conference USA. I'm being so polite right now, I didn't use the phrase CUSA. Um, and by the way, anybody remember Bob Diaco? I he's sure down do. In them, he, he's old in that old Ruston, Louisiana. What's he doing down there, Richard? Uh, he's coordinating that their defense. Um, but, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to talk about the defense as much as I want to talk about the offense because the offense is really, really fun. Um, Skip Holtz. He's had that thing chugging along at like an eight-win pace the last few seasons. Um, 
you know, they're, they're pretty fun to watch. If you get a chance on Friday, take a look at them. Um, Jamar Smith is a three-year starter there. Um, he When he throws a deep ball, it's one of those deep balls that just kind of like goes up and down. Like he throws over people. Um, and it's kind of really fun to watch. Uh, but when they run the ball, oh my God, when they run the ball, whoo! They have like a wing back, H back that they use. Um, young guy named Bobby Holly, I think he's number 41. And he is an old school stick, uh, stick his nose in your chest plate fullback. I mean, they use this dude on trap plays. Uh, they pull him from the other side of the, uh, the line of scrimmage. They run behind him. He leads up. Oh, God, this offense is wonderful. Um, this rushing attack. So give it, a, give it a chance. Take a look. It's fun to watch. He's going to be a future Patriots or 49ers fullback, I think. Um, and also when they get down on the goal line, they run like the straight T formation. So I am, I'm all in on Louisiana Tech, baby. When's the, uh, can anyone tell me very quickly, pop quiz, gentlemen, when was the last time Louisiana Tech lost? Uh, Louisiana Tech last lost to, we lose to Texas, right? Texas. August 31st to Texas. Since then, they have won every single game. They beat North Texas last week. Uh, I'm looking very quickly. The last time they actually had a game of some concern in terms of the margin was, believe it or not, at Rice. Everybody stumbles, but you got the W. They're closing out at Marshall on Friday. Then they got the big one. The following week, a huge game at UAB and then they're home against UTSA. Um, If they win this game, I will start... Clamoring a little bit, at least to get him on the G5 top five, guys. I mean, we've we've all but ignored this conference outright, and I'm okay with that. But at the same time, this is an interesting and fun offense. Richard, let me ask you a leading question here, my friend. Sir. Is this an offense made of spare parts specific to the situation in Ruston, or is this something that Skip Holtz has found that would translate well, oh, say, to another job next year? <clears throat> let's let's say uh, a job is similarly in the southeast. Would you say? Um, I don't know. I think you can do this. I, I think you can do this offense um, in a different place because this offense provides a bit of a changeup. As the rest of the conference, the rest of the sport moves to, we've talked about like a tight front defense that that is built to. Uh, it's almost a spread defense. We we all know about spread offense as a formation now. The shotgun with a bunch of wide receivers wide. Some of the tight front and the nickel sets, that's that's almost a spread defense, if you can call it that. And stuff like this, where you're running in between the tackles, when you're mashing, that is built to uh, to be a changeup, to be the changeup on the schedule to defenses that are, broadly speaking, being built and designed to stop a certain type of offensive system. So, who's to say? Maybe it can work at a... Uh, <clears throat> Maybe. Southeastern Conference school in the future? Who knows? Maybe. Maybe right up, maybe maybe a little bit uh, further up the ankle on the old boot there. You know, Who knows? Know. Very Who's to say? Uh, Bud, Skip Holtz. Does anyone remember that he struggled at South Florida? Because Louisiana puts Tech it has lightly. a very... Yeah, this is true. But, he, but Louisiana Tech has a wonderful ability to let a coach kind of stop, breathe, and really reinvent themselves. But from a Floridian's perspective, is he damaged goods there? Or is he still some, is, is he someone that could... Uh, make a jump hypothetically to a P5 job and then not have that come back on him? I think he's damaged goods inside the state of Florida. Uh, but, okay. I mean, think about it. Like, who who coached at Arkansas at one point and did a good job? Lou Holtz, Skip's dad. There's that little kind of emotial connection. I I, I, I I could see him going to Arkansas. I mean, boy, we uh, are I talked really to Richard on the phone it. yesterday. What? <laughs> I said we are it. really We're doing it. Doing it is... <laughs> It's it's merely a topic of conversation. I hate I hate this only because I feel like it's a little anti PAPN and that look Tech is having a great year. Tech Tech is the preeminent program to have great years quietly. Let go, but go ahead, bud. Go ahead. The only thing I was going to say is, is that Richard and I talked yesterday, and I was like, look, if you're Arkansas, you need to make a hire that makes you everybody's trap game because you're in in the West, which means you have four. I don't call them auto losses, but let's just probably call them auto losses a year. <laughs> And you need to be able to turn nice. one of those into a, a win, you know, every other year. If you're going to succeed, doing something different is important. B- that's why Bielema didn't work because he was trying to like out Bama Bama, and Morris didn't work for a variety of reasons. Obviously, <laughs> I think Holtz is different part, with this. I think was why he didn't succeed. It's probably the football part that that's yeah. why. Um, all right, gentlemen, moving on to Saturday. 
bright and early. First game on the slate. 11 a.m. ESPN. Alabama goes to Mississippi State. I forgot this game was in Starkville. Uh, that won't matter. Spoiler. Uh, Florida State hosts Alabama State uh, on the ACC Regional Network. Florida is at Missouri on CBS. Oh, wow. CBS getting that. Uh, they always sneak in when they it's do their those second, 11 a.m. games. It's the second double yeah. hour. Mm-hmm. Kansas goes to Oklahoma State on FS1. Uh, Indiana is at Penn State on ABC. We'll talk about that one uh, in a little bit. And then Michigan State goes to Michigan. Uh, you know, historically, as far as I'm concerned, a very even rivalry in which Michigan has struggled. Those are facts. Look them up. TCU goes to Texas Tech on ESPN2. Tulane goes to Temple on ESPNU. Big Ten Network has Northwestern hosting UMass. You don't have to watch that. Mm-mm, you do not. Uh, CBS Sports Network has VMI at Army. Wisconsin goes to Nebraska on the Big Ten Network. Let's go to noon. UTEP is at UAB on ESPN3. And then... um. I'll go ahead. No, we'll save Navy Notre Dame for the afternoon. I just made that snap decision. Um, this is a decent little morning. It's all right. If you want to watch Alabama uh, be very, very angry and come out against an unsuspecting, uh, I guess that you can't really call them unsuspect. They'll look unsuspecting. How's that? Defense at Mississippi State. Uh, there will be an exercising of demons, as there always is in an Alabama game after a loss, especially in conference play. Look it up. Um, tell me a little bit about Michigan State, Richard. The Michigan State situation is odd, to say the least. Um, okay, so during the during the loss to Illinois, the uh, <clears throat> the loss to Illinois, um, Brian Lewerke was on a QB run and and he went down and on his way down he hit his helmet on like a, an Illinois defender who was coming in to try to make the tackle. He stays down for a little bit. Um, just a second. A teammate is clearly motioning to the trainers, but Lewerke then gets up, um, you know, kind of shakes it off, and and they run the next play. The next play is a pick six where Lewerke throws the ball like ten feet behind the wide receiver. I don't know if it was a miscommunication or it was just a really really bad ball, and it's a pick six. And and obviously Illinois goes on to win the game again. Illinois wins the game, but it, so on Tuesday, D'Antonio says that Lewerke wasn't checked for a concussion during the game or after the game. He said that during the press conference. And then Tuesday evening, uh, Michigan State's, uh, an administrator from Michigan State said, whoa, 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 yes, he was. <laughs> and he was fine. I, I don't know. I, I don't really have like an editorialization for the situation. I'm just saying this is like another kind of odd subplot in an odd two to three seasons for Michigan State. It's it's just a, it's just a little data point in the, Michigan State's at a weird spot right now, continually. Uh, if I were to, if I were to try to pick up or extract something from whatever it was that really let Minnesota win the game against Penn State, could I graft that onto Indiana? Is that possible, or is Penn State actually still a quality team, Bud? Um, I know you've got some, uh, uh, as Richard says, a vested interest in Penn State uh, being a very quality team in the Big Ten this season. Is it possible that Indiana can do Minnesota-type things? It's possible if, if Penn State doesn't take them seriously. I, I think Minnesota is a better team uh, than Indiana is. Indiana has played well and, and above expectations this year, um, but I, I don't think they're on the same caliber uh, of team that Minnesota is. I will note that and I know we'll talk about this probably when we talk Minnesota-Iowa, but the way that Minnesota exploited Penn State, I, I'm not entirely sure that Indiana can do the same thing. But if any, but if Penn State doesn't show up, um, then Indiana, which is off a of bye, uh, could could give them trouble for you know at, at least a half. I will say this about Indiana, and only this about Indiana. I sincerely hope the audience can hear this. It's all about WAP, baby! It's all about WAP! Explain yourself. 
It's all about WAP failure, baby. It's all about WAP. He's still leading the team in targets. I mean, he didn't he didn't lead in targets on Saturday, but uh, but he the the passing offense goes through him. We've talked about how Indiana is really good at, at using him in space in the slot, finding creative ways to get him the ball um, and creative ways to get out on the edge in their run game mm-hmm. as well. Um, Penn State's fast. Penn State's physical. Penn State flies downhill. Um, I would like to see how Indiana goes over the top uh, like Minnesota did. Indiana, excuse me, Minnesota was able to hit uh, those explosive plays over the top uh, where it looked like just Penn State safeties were taking bad angles um, to try to make those tackles, which, of course, they did five days after I said that they tackle really, really well. Um, So how does Indiana attack? They're going to use WAP. How else do they attack? Uh, That's going to be the fun thing to watch in that game. Uh, Nine Windiana. Who sees it? Here's the problem. Here's the problem with nine Windiana we haven't talked about yet. They're without a quarterback right now. So is the whole thing just gonna go bust now that uh, what's the kid's name? Penix, Michael Penix yeah, but, is out. But Ramsey has actually thrown more passes than, Pen- or excuse me, only three fewer passes than Penix on the year. Okay. Like no, I, Penix I'm has just been asking. out of the lineup a lot. And to be honest here, uh, I think you can argue that that Ramsey in some ways has been better. The one thing Penix was really good at is like he's athletic but he's actually like really savvy for a true freshman in the pocket and doesn't really get brought down very much. Ramsey's a little more of a stationary target. Um but like they the drop off has not been severe uh for them with with Ramsey. The issue is that they finish at Penn State at a Michigan team that seems to be peaking and uh, and and at Purdue. So uh, I still think 9 wins is very possible. Yeah. Got to include the bowl, <laughs> bud. I'd include the bowl. That's what I immediately. Oh, we're including bowl. I mean, we we we, we may be ten win Deanna. Yeah, baby. Oh, man, wow. I know. I know a particular sponsor of this program that just passed out. Um, trap game. I mean, this is a trap. Look, Indiana ranked. Okay, Penn State in between a road loss to Minnesota and a road game at a, at a Ohio State. Trap game. At the definition of trap game. Yes, it is. There's. Godfrey, I have nothing to add to that because you're just 100% correct. Trap game. I just, I, I'm, I'm talking myself into Indiana in all these ways so we can keep these awkward pauses in because the more we talk it through, the more I feel like Penn State was, I don't know, some idiot named Stephen Godfrey got on the Banner Society Instagram talking about how Penn State with an, with an, with a chase chase youngless Ohio State was the favorite in that conference. Now I feel like they're scrambling. Um, Richard, by the way, what what the hell happened with the tackling specifically for Penn State? Because that was one thing that we were really, really bullish about. Yeah, I was just wrong there. Whew. I mean, Minnesota, like I, I really and truly thought Penn State was going to house Minnesota. I mean, I like I really did. And you know, we talked about it on on Sunday on the on the Hurry Up Show, but Minnesota played really, really well. And like the the thing that really steps out, and and it's what I just talked about. It's the throw over the top. I believe was in like the second quarter, and Minnesota scores that long touchdown down the right side. And and the the safety there just takes a flat angle or no angle at all. I should say just runs flat. Um, at the wide receiver, and he's the last line of defense there because Penn State had sent a blitz with two guys on the right side. So that safety's got to rotate over, and if he doesn't make the tackle, the jig is up. Well, he didn't make the tackle, and the jig was indeed up. Um, You know, Minnesota, I guess, is not like uh, Purdue or some of these other teams that Penn State has played where Penn State can just come down, fly around, come downhill and 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 out athlete and just be bigger, stronger, faster than that opponent. Um is is Penn State probably more athletic than Minnesota? Sure, but that did not make for a better football team on Saturday. Uh, just bouncing around real fast. Uh Bud, we will uh we can talk about TCU Texas Tech in a second. Wisconsin Nebraska Feels like it might should be something probably won't be. Uh, Wisconsin got the the win it needed with Iowa, so they feel, I mean, how big is that Wisconsin-Minnesota game going to be? Anyway, uh, Wisconsin will be fine against Nebraska. VMI could not come up at a better time for Army, who's on a five-game losing streak. And again, uh, you absolutely are a free, uh, God-fearing American. You do not need to watch Northwestern and UMass. Um, but- uh, hey, uh, show corrections in show. Army uh, is not on a five-game losing streak. Ooh. Why? Who they? They they beat UMass by like fifty last week. 
Oh, that's right. Sorry, they came off of UMass. They were on a losing streak. You're right. right. Correct. Um, still, they need it pretty bad. Oh, I'm sorry. My note was backwards. They need it for bowl eligibility, and they're also going to have to beat Navy. We'll talk about Navy in a second, and all of a sudden, this Army-Navy rivalry is resembling its pre-Jeff Munkin self. We'll have to figure that out uh, for the actual Army-Navy show. But, but TCU and Texas Tech, um, as you quest every week to suss out what the hell the Big 12 looks like, much in the same way I feel like you as sort of an ACC guy – uh, everyone else is like, well, who is the two through five in the ACC? You've spent that a same amount of time and energy trying to figure the same thing out in the Big 12. Uh, TCU and Texas Tech, you have this as a bowl elimination game, essentially. Yeah, they, they really both need this game uh, to, to keep their bowl eligibility alive. If TCU loses it, it's not 100% that they would be done, uh, but it, it's it would be tough. If Texas Tech loses this, they're almost certainly uh, not going to a bowl. Uh, so, yeah, like... I don't think this game is very interesting at all, but it is a bowl elimination game. Um, and if you're TCU and you don't make a bowl, like that's that's a disappointment. I I, I would think. Um, did TCU play anybody in the non-conference that that, that gave them an L, or, or are they just playing really poorly in the uh, SMU here, the Southern Methodist? That's right. Uh, yeah, they lost yeah. to SMU. That game was like really bad now. They lost the skillet. Um, SMU. Uh, I think that was their first skillet win in something like 10, 15 years. I don't know. Long time. Um, all right. I'm going to go ahead and pick an all-Big Ten morning. Um, it's November. It's cold outside. It's like in the teens here in Nashville. So let's go all-Big Ten, Michigan State, Michigan, Indiana, Penn State, a little bit of flip around there. All right. We'll, we will start the afternoon now and go back to uh, the Notre Dame game starting at 1.30. Um, they play Navy, NBC. You know where to find a Notre Dame game. It's not that hard. <laughs> Idaho State. <laughs> Idaho State goes to BYU on BYU TV at 2 o'clock. ESPN Plus has Coastal Carolina at Arkansas State. ESPN 3 has Troy at Texas State. And I'm not being cute when I say this. Those are two different platforms, so double-check and see what you're subscribed to. Central Michigan goes to Ball State at 2.30 on CBS Sports Network. The SEC game on CBS for the 2.30 slot is Georgia at Auburn. We'll talk about that in a second. Kentucky goes to Vandy at 2.30 on SEC Network. It's always fun when I go through this list and realize, oh, Vandy has a home game. I guess I'll worry about the traffic. I, I don't know. I got nothing. Um, although, shout out, Kentucky does travel well regardless. Memphis uh, is at Houston on ESPN2. Ohio State goes to Rutgers. They could play the whole game with their threes, and maybe they should on Big Ten Network. My gosh. Uh, Texas is at Iowa State on FS1 at 2.30. Staying in the 2.30, Virginia Tech is at Georgia Tech on the ACC Regional Sports Network. Check your listings. Wake Forest goes to Clemson on ABC. West Virginia is at Kansas State on ESPN. Moving to 3 o'clock, Minnesota is at Iowa. Real fast, who can tell me the trophy there? Uh, Floyd of Rosedale, right? You are correct. ACC Network has Syracuse at Duke. Uh, Wyoming goes to Utah State on ESPNU. Facebook at 3 o'clock. I'm very shook by this because they're back on the mainland. Hawaii is at UNLV. You can get Hawaii Midnight Drunk if you want. I'm just saying that game's going to happen at 3 p.m. Central. So, you know, I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. Nothing like a day uh, party, baby. A little darty action. Hey, day drunks are... that. Parents know. Parents know. Day drunks, way to go. Uh, ULM is at Georgia Southern on ESPN Plus. 3.30, Stanford is at Wazoo on Pac-12 Network. Man, so much for watching that game. Rice goes to Middle Tennessee State on ESPN Plus. Also on Plus is ULL, Louisiana Lafayette or Louisiana. I'm tired of being told what to call them at South Alabama at 4 o'clock. Also on Plus, Southern Miss is at UTSA. ESPN 2, actually we'll stop there. That UTSA game's at 5. We'll pick it back up at 6. So uh, high volume of games here. Uh, Richard, quick note on Georgia Southern ULM. Yes. Uh, I just want to revisit very quickly uh, the situation we talked about in the August 13th PAPN episode with Shai Wirtz and, uh, and policing. Shai Wirtz, very quickly, if you want to go back and listen to that podcast, I encourage you to do so. We had a really long conversation during that episode, but just to catch people up to speed, Shywers, uh pulled over for speeding. A white substance was all over the front of his car. Uh, a Saluda County Sheriff's uh, officer by the name of Charles Browder pulled him over, tested the substance uh, for 
whatever it was. Uh, it's one of those road test kits. Wirtz asserted that it was bird poop that he tried to wash off at the gas station multiple times. Um, but it tested positive in one of the field test kits for controlled substance. And I believe the cop believed that it was cocaine. Um, just to kind of unfortunately tie that situation back up. Uh, Charles Browder was found during an internal investigation by the sheriff's department um, that he did nothing wrong and he remains on active duty per the Greenville News. Um, The 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 good thing out of the situation is that a Shywartz was uh, vindicated, exonerated, whatever it is. He's still, I think, fighting the ticket in a jury trial, which is awesome. Um, but the other thing is that the Saluda County Sheriff's Department is saying that they are are starting to phase out these road test kits. They're still in use, but. Before the sheriff's department will file a charge, they will wait for the actual lab results to come back on whatever the substance is. That's kind of the takeaway here as we move forward from the situation. Um, Godfrey and I will will really get into this with Bud as well um, on a future episode, but I I just wanted to quickly give an update on that situation. Uh, It was sent to me uh, by, by a listener on Twitter. Very, very possibly we might have a hashtag AskPAPN episode. I debated whether to even to tease that because we're so backloaded on questions, but I, I just did. Uh, Bud, let's talk a little bit about this offensive line issue for Georgia. Uh, before we do that, I do want to plug Spencer's piece that just went up as we were recording this on Banner Society. Um, and in typical Spencer fashion, they'll just go ahead and read the head to you. That's the Auburn Tigers, comma, college football's greatest ruiner of things. Um, a short history of a long story of Auburn's crimes against football. So you can kind of understand the flavor of the situation. How strange is it that Spencer would write this uh, right before they played Georgia? Hmm. Absolutely no timing involved in that whatsoever. But let's start with that offensive line as well as Auburn's uh, very, very good ability to, you know, do the defensive line thing where they where they sack people, that thing. Uh, do we have an upset coming? Uh, I, I think it's possible. Georgia had multiple offensive linemen hurt on the same play against Missouri. Uh, meanwhile, Auburn was hanging back last week. I believe Auburn was on a bye, right? Uh, so UGA, they're, they're, they're seeing okay. We're, we're most likely going to play LSU in the title game unless we happen to lose to uh, A&M and Auburn. Uh, not that they're looking ahead to that game, I don't believe, but uh, is interesting here for sure. I, I I have some questions about how Georgia is going to block Auburn. Um, also have some questions about how Auburn is going to block Georgia. Right. I was going to uh, say, I have some questions about the inverse. Yeah. But like, if you were to say, okay, how does Auburn upset Georgia? Well, they probably make Georgia's offense look like total crap, uh, like Javon Kinlaw did about a month ago and uh, for, for South Carolina, of course. And they get some turnovers and they don't have to end up asking Bo Nix to throw the ball too many times and they win in a low-scoring game that is dominated by their defensive line in which Georgia fans are just very frustrated about all the potential chances they have but do not cash in on. Like, we can all see that script happening. I don't know it's going to happen, but some of the pieces are kind of lining up if, if Georgia's offensive linemen are indeed, uh, if, if they're actually out. Uh, Richard, give me a – what kind of flavor of game are we seeing here? Is it going to be ugly high scoring, ugly low scoring? Not even so much in terms of a an upset. Just what flavor of ugly is coming? I want like an eighteen thirteen type of game. Oh God, that's what we're talking about here, baby. Spiteful Floridian, spiteful. Um, this is not going to be a fun game to watch. Why do I feel that way? Because nobody's going to block each other. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be fun if you like really good defensive line play. It's going to be fun if you like a defensive line parked in the backfield the entire game. Uh, I I think Cager is going to go, and and Lord knows I talk about Lawrence Cager enough on this podcast. Cager's supposed to go. I doubt he's going to be really at 100%. Um, Because I think he re-aggravated the shoulder injury on Saturday. But he will go. Georgia will need that to win this game. So this is actually going to be one of those games where there's a lot of punting, no downfield passing, and just it's all going to be spun by the SEC, you know, uh, PR wing as like, wow, look at the pass rushing ability that you can only find in this conference. I mean, this game could, that's what we're getting. This game could go like a quarter and a half without a touchdown, without an offensive touchdown. And I'd be like, "Eh, yeah. Oh, wow. Well, that's an awesome flavor of, butt you guys have just described 
Holy. Um, all right, Navy and Notre Dame. Uh, Navy's good again. We have not talked about Navy too much at all. The hell we haven't. Future. We got yelled at what two weeks ago? Future American Athletic Conference champion Navy. Well, we just keep saying that. Richard, tell me about Navy. Tell me about Navy beating Notre Dame. Uh, the with the Navy Notre Dame game, we find our minority coordinator of the week in an interesting schematic spot. That is the homie Ivan Jasper um, as Navy's offensive coordinator. Um, when they play Notre Dame on Saturday, I, I am really interested to see what adjustment Navy is able to do to Notre Dame's defense. Last year, Clark Lee, who's Notre Dame's defensive coordinator, it was Clark Lee's first year as D.C. Notre Dame came out in in a front that was a bit different from what they did in 2017 against Navy. Um, when I believe Mike Elko was the defensive coordinator? Not sure. Um, basically, Notre Dame only ran two fronts last year. It, functionally, it was a 5-2. Not by personnel, but just how it looked to the viewer. Um, and they would run four DBs across the back. That's five down linemen, or at least three down linemen and two defensive ends. And then two linebackers behind that, and then four across defensive backs in the secondary. Um, basically, what Notre Dame did was... They kept the ends outside of Navy's offensive tackles, and they those were pretty much a static position uh, lining up. But Lee mixed and matched what the other five players in the front would do, the three defensive tackles and the two linebackers. Um, in short yardage situations, Notre Dame would plug the middle with a 3-0-3, which is basically one defensive tackle on the outside eye of the guard, a nose guard head up on the center, and the other defensive tackle on the outside eye of the guard. Uh, and then in medium to long downs, they would do like a 3-1-5, which is one defensive tackle on the outside guard's eye or the eye of the outside guard. And then um, uh, the nose tackle between guard and center and then um, a defensive tackle outside of uh, of the offensive tackle. And, and so they would play with the front. They play with the interior of the front. And Navy, like, didn't have an answer for that in the first half of that game. Like, Navy had a 0% success rate in the second quarter of that game. Absolute zero. Uh, they came out in the second half. They uh, tried to isolate the corner. They got a long run on that. Um, they would do a little bit of trap stuff and some dive stuff on the inside. And Navy was actually starting to gash Notre Dame. The problem being, they were down 30 points when the offense actually started working last year's game. So, is Navy going to have early success when when they're not down 20 points? And can they show, uh, can they get ahead of the downs, ahead of the chains? Can they get uh, ahead of kind of the game flow and control the game flow against Notre Dame? That is what I am interested to see in this game. All right, that was comprehensive. I'm very proud of you. Um, We're trying. You said here. they could. You just could say they could, they could beat Notre Dame. We're trying here. What is the spread there, so, bud? Uh, I think it's eight. Give me a second here. But if you went down to FanDuel in Jersey, uh, like I advised the other week, uh, you would you would have gotten twenty. Twenty. Yeah. Twenty. Twenty in, in, in the look aheads uh, two three weeks ago. I got across the bridge, uh, man. How do they? Uh, the spread's, the spread's down to seven, by the way. I would probably not play it at seven. What, what what's going on with that spread? Explain. Well, I mean, look ahead lines exist, and we talk about them every week. And just certain things have happened. Notre Dame had a close game against Vitek that was probably not as close as the score uh, indicated. Vitek had a ninety-eight yard fumble return for a touchdown uh, in, in that ball game. But uh, um, I think Notre Dame's loss to uh, to Michigan helped push that down a little bit. I just. W- when I took it, I was like, this is just too much. I, I think at the time I made it like 13, so I was seeing a good bit of value there. Uh, you, you can get some value in look-ahead lines. You just have to be willing to, to put your money aside for a couple of weeks. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, let's move on, bud. Um, Richard and I have already delivered our mea culpas regarding Minnesota. Uh, would you now like to talk about Iowa being favored against the Gophers as we continue on our hating ass quest? All right, I will apologize to Minnesota uh, fans. <laughs> we have a lot of Minnesota fans in this podcast, by the way. Like, I'm very surprised that we. Have I think that we have many. a lot of Minnesota people who have noticed our podcast. I'll put it that. I, I think that's fair. I think um, we created it like a bug zapper in a way. So uh, Minnesota did a really good job in this game of hitting big plays. I still think Minnesota runs the ball too much, just kind of like stubbornly smashing in, in, into a wall. They're actually not that good at running the ball. Um, they love that stretch play, man. Yeah, and they're not that good at it. It's weird, man. Like, like they're It's really an inefficient play for them, but they, they run it all the time. It does make their passing game really crazy because everybody's like, oh, my God, they threw a pass. And when they do, I mean, Rashad Bateman's a guy we've talked about before who we love. I mean, he had an incredible game, seven catches, 203. Tyler Johnson made, made some nice jump balls for them. Defensively, uh, look, Minnesota still gave up seven yards of play at home and had, what, I think two or three interceptions in the red zone and a red zone stop. And two of those picks came on plays where Minnesota was committing somewhere between blatant and, like, egregious pass interference that was not called. I will uh, say, so, though, I like, will if say. If they lined up again, we're, we're all taking Penn State, right? If they played this game again in Minnesota on Saturday, you're not, you're not picking Minnesota, right? Oh, There's blood, a reason that, that I was favored. Because people saw Minnesota played well, but Minnesota also won that game due to some things which are not sustainable and are are more luck than skill. (laughs) Bud is the relative you don't let loose at the wedding reception because you know he's just going to inadvertently piss someone off. Um, Yes. Yes. All right. Put me right back in the shit with Minnesota, Bud. Yes, I I would pick Penn State again. All things equal. There you go. Thank you, bud. Now everyone's mad at me in Minnesota again. Um, uh, so when is the live show in Minneapolis? In when is the live show in Minneapolis? Not in, not for the next six months. You're Hopefully not never. My southern ass up there. Um, look, the, the Minnesota Twins spring train down in Fort Myers. I used to live down there. We'll do a live show down there, and, and y'all can come see me. There it is. Uh, in, in, in the nice weather. Uh, I'm not really that confident that Iowa beats Minnesota, though. Right? Like I, I don't know that Iowa is going to be running up seven yards of play on Minnesota. I do think, however, that uh, that Iowa will prevent explosive plays better than Penn State did. A, because they're pretty good at that. Like That's normally what they do. Uh, and B, because they just saw Minnesota hit a, a, a truckload of explosive plays against Penn State. So we'll have to see if Minnesota can be a little more efficient on a down-to-down basis in terms of like successful plays as opposed to hitting bombs, which if you can hit bombs, that's the best way to do things, but doesn't always work. So Iowa's we'll fifth. see. Iowa is fifth. In marginal explosiveness on defense, Penn State's thirty fourth. Okay. So Iowa ain't letting you. Iowa ain't letting you explode now. Oh man, I tried Minnesota. I was. This is as nice as we get. I think is what you just heard. So yeah, sorry about that, guys. Uh, bouncing around. There's a lot of stuff that's uh, limited interest here. Or situ- the situational interest. How's that? Um, Bud, you got any? You got any feel for? Um, West Virginia and K State. Since since you're now my Big Twelve correspondent on the show, I, I took West Virginia at at open, and that, that line has continued to rise. Or excuse me, I, I took Kansas State rather. Uh, I just don't think West Virginia is is that good. Um, like they they got their they got their Big Twelve win over Kansas, and they're not terrible, right? Like they're not as bad as I thought, thought they were er, like really early in the season when they couldn't move the ball at all. But I, I do think Kansas State here uh, is is probably too much of a challenge for them. Uh, Kentucky and Vandy, not a good football game. Hard Kentucky, pass. <laughs> Hard pass. Kentucky, especially for the rumors about Stoops and his name, you know, his inclusion in various coaching searches that could come up this year, uh, with a wide receiver playing quarterback, they have certainly not had the season they had last year. They're four and five, but they're not dead. And in a way in which so many other teams like a Vanderbilt or an Arkansas or one of the Mississippis would just sort of die. This is an ugly team that at least provides fight in games that they lose and then wins games that maybe they shouldn't. So um, I 
they'll I mean they are favored at Vanderbilt because Vanderbilt's horrific, but if they won the last three and went to a bowl, it wouldn't shock me at all. It's why because it's look, they came I mean, they came a goal line stop away from beating Tennessee last week. They they lose thirteen to seventeen. Post game win expectancy on that game sixteen percent for Kentucky. So Kentucky was extremely in that game, had a chance to win that game, and should have had absolutely no chance to win that game, given the way the game actually played out from a statistical perspective. Uh, Texas and Iowa State is a, is a, is a good football game. Is a, that is a good football game, he says one more time to repeat himself. Um, hey, Texas. This would be a great opportunity to show that you're Texas and you're not just one of the chaff in the middle of the Big 12. Why do I feel like that's not going to happen, bud? Because uh, Iowa State's a better team. That's, oh, that's there probably it is. The, the, the main reason. Um, this is basically a knockout game for Texas. If they lose this, their path to the Big 12 title game is uh, is real difficult to see. Uh, so they, they need to go ahead and get this win. Um, if they don't, then the chance that we get uh, that, that we end up getting uh, Bader Oklahoma is, uh, is is real real high. A uh, couple question here. Let's just go ahead and get into referendum time with Texas because when are we not in a referendum on Texas? Um, even if they win out, he's going to have to make some changes. We talk. We teased about this every week. I just did Wharton Moneyball on Sirius this morning before we taped this. And uh, there's some Texas Phantom on that show. And I said, look, Tom Herman can reinvent himself. He's done this. He's, he, he builds from enough different areas of influence that he knows he can evaluate, flesh something out, and sort of reinvent himself as he goes. There's some skepticism about that. Um, it's weird to me from the outside guys, and you can tell me if I'm wrong or not, that everyone's kind of circling the wagons around Tom right now. Are we a little early for that? This wasn't supposed to be the year, right? Well, you say that because you're informed, but a lot of the media out there just kind of blindly pick Texas like they did Nebraska. Is it, it, but, but let me ask you a serious question. Is this all because of the damn Georgia game? I think so. Yeah. P- p- like The bowl game is the least meaningful data point of the entire season for a team, right? Like right. If, you're making right. A, if you're making predictions for, for the following year – I actually think you would probably be better off ignoring bowl games. There's a reason I, I hardly ever bet bowl games anymore because we don't even know who's going to be playing in these, and the motivations are are so different for for, the, for these teams. Like, do we think Georgia really wanted to be in that bowl game? I don't, and that'll piss off Texas fans because it devalues their win. But I don't care. Right. Look, that the old thing Alabama is, man. Grah, grah, grah. Yeah, the expectations were were unjustifiably high. This was supposed to be like to borrow Bill's old like like phrase here: consolidation of gains year. Right, like another step was not coming this year. This Texas team is not that much worse than last year's Texas team was. Twenty twenty, I think they're expected to be pretty damn good, and I think they will be. I'm with absolutely. This is an opinion informed in no way, shape, or form by the status of the football team itself or the performance. I'm now growing more and more convinced as we talk this through that we had the bowl game against Georgia and they won. You had a name quarterback returning, which is an automatic ingredient for an over amount overexposure in the offseason. And then Bud combined that with the fact they had LSU in week two. And we spent so many months, especially in my like, especially in the Southeast, overhyping that game. All of a sudden, Texas is being Texas is put into a context they don't deserve. But I, I will say this, Bud, they didn't really ask for it. I don't remember you talked a lot about how Willie Taggart screwed himself by by the context by which he put his team in. I don't remember Tom Herman getting out in front and saying, this is the year, it's national title or bust. How many of the national media guys picked Texas to be in their playoff this year? I felt like, way too many. I, I, I felt the bulk of people were like, and I I mean, this is going to be, a, I'm going to borrow the bit from the full cast, but I felt most people were like, yeah, Texas 9-3, and three, right? I, I bet you, like, let's go through those preseason magazines. Let's go through the columns at some of the, you know the more mainstream media outlets. I think you're seeing a lot of Texas in the playoff picks, like at a least lot more a than sleeper. you actually should have. At least as a sleeper, yeah, okay. But then we also have this idea of Texas at nine and three, and people sort of shrugging that off, or worse, in, in Austin, uh, rejecting that outright. I still think, after everything, 
How many years removed are we from Mac Brown? The entire cycle of Charlie Strong, now a, a full cycle into Tom Herman, that the problems in that program are so rooted in the perception and the culture around the program and not in the program, and I don't know if there's a way to to eliminate that or even change it. Maybe this I, is why they wanted Nick Saban so bad. I honestly, I, I sort of disagree. I, I don't I don't know if, it, I think it is that deep and it also isn't. Because I think if he fixes the defense, we are having a totally different conversation. Because that's what I think, that's the thing that I think is holding them back. Yes, there's a ton of injuries. I understand that, specifically in the secondary. I think if they have a better defense next season or this season and and they perform a little bit better, we're having a different conversation. We're having a conversation about Texas maybe not being there, but at least taking another step after that Sugar Bowl win, which is going to be used as a data point, right, wrong, or indifferent, whether it should be. I really think the problems are as simple as fix the defense, get a, get better on that side of the ball, and 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 take another step next year. You know when you guys get like a free sample of something in the mail and it says not for resale across it? I swear to God, these bowl games, and we will do this this year, Bud, Richard, everyone, we will make it our mission to really, really hammer home the fact that the every bowl game, every Georgia-Texas Sugar Bowl is exhibition, not for analysis or context, exhibition. Because those games leave us in the dumbest ways possible. It keeps happening year after year i don't get it um all right, it's because everybody watches and, and that's fine that's great it's just recency we, bias it's the most recent data point it's also combined with the fact that we have a nine-month off season and and but i don't know how how often we have to scream about this that the you know the the your team's performance in november in conference play is astronomically more important and more informative to your future than what they did in a bowl game after a 30 odd day uh off period where some of the roster doesn't even show up or the opposing team's coaches got fired or there's only three coaches across the sideline or on and on and on and on. Even in even in the Sugar Bowl, by the way. It either matters for a national championship or it doesn't. I understand that some kids get up for it. I get that. Like, if you're in the Camellia Bowl and you're in the MAC, that's a big deal. But the bottom line is these games don't work the same way as the rest of college football, and we, we, just, we really want them to for some damn reason. Um, I'm going to open the floor up. I would actually include Texas-Iowa State as sort of my, my watch pick in the afternoon. Um, I will be watching Georgia-Auburn maybe a, a, just out of a southern sense of obligation, and then I would pair that finally with actually Navy-Notre Dame because uh, this is going to be a great way to figure out how good Navy is headed into not only the stretch for Army-Navy, but more importantly the stretch for uh, the G5 bid to the New Year's Six. I, any- I want to watch Clemson. Because I want to see Clemson do in front of everybody what they should be doing, which is absolutely stomping Wake Forest face in. I Look, some narrative is that Clemson ain't there. And if it's the schedule that we're talking about, it's the schedule. But, folks, they're still Clemson. They are very much still Clemson, no matter who they play. And if they, if they have to prove it on December 28th to you, that's fine. But just take a look-see at around 4.45 Eastern time on Saturday and see where Clemson is on the scoreboard and where Wake Forest is on the scoreboard. All right. God love the Deeks, but yikes. You saw Sage Surratt is out. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, Wake's best receiver is out too. So So this is the murder that we were convinced Penn State Minnesota was going to be. Oh, a lot worse. Much worse. I mean, well, dude. There, yeah. There you go, folks. Wake by twenty. All right. Um, moving on into the evening. Six PM. Air Force goes to Colorado State on ESPN two. Uh Cincinnati goes to South Florida on CBS Sports Network. ESPN has uh the Magnolia Bowl, LSU at Ole Miss. Arizona keep State it. goes to Huh? I'd keep it, man. Keep that game. That's ugly. Oh, well, we'll get there in a second. There's different ways of it, that it could be ugly. Arizona State goes to Oregon State on six, at 6.30 on FS1. ESPNU has App at Georgia State. ACC Network has Louisville at NC State. ABC has Oklahoma at Baylor. SEC Network has South Carolina at Texas A&M, which is still a cross-divisional game. Insane. So stupid. 
Uh, UCLA is at Utah on seven at seven p.m. on Fox. I'm gonna go ahead and do the drunk real fast, and we'll wrap this bad boy up. Uh, the drunk is nine fifteen ESPN two. New Mexico goes to Boise State. Murder. Uh, Arizona to Oregon also murder. I can't do that high pitch thing twice. And then USC at Cal at ten p.m. on FS one. That'll just be ugly. Um, I, I predict a, an ugly, muddy game. Cal defense should have fun there. Um, uh, LSU, don't be stupid. I don't think it's possible for LSU to be stupid. I mean, you'd have to be you'd have to be injury laden, sudden sudden injury laden, stupid to to lose at Ole Miss. I mean, the um, only just, the only saving grace here is like Joe Burrow has the finally has the off game, throws three turnovers in the red zone, and and all that that sort of game. It would it would be that combined with a balance of Plumlee and Corral that Ole Miss has not shown, or a let me say this the the correct balance of those two guys that we still have not seen yet, um, and yeah I'm just gonna kind of peter out talking about that game it'll be a crime scene which is fine uh, because LSU has bigger fish to fry I'll be interested to see how fast they can wrap that up and shut it down. There's no concern when you're number one in the country having just beaten Alabama about margin at all. This won't be a situation where like everyone kind of jumped on Clemson last week. LSU could win this game by 20. It does not matter. Um, jumping around here, we got, I mean, Oklahoma and Baylor. This is it. It's no, it's no longer a referendum. I'm fine saying Baylor's good. I still think Oklahoma's a much better team. Um, but much like I said this, I said this in the apology to Minnesota, nothing you did argued against me saying I had suspicions. None of the games you won, the margins by which you won by, the ways in which you won. Baylor, basically the same thing. Did anyone watch the first, the, the, the regulation time part of the rivalry game or just the OT? Oh, absolutely not, and I won't be. I won't be I scroll so. back. Uh, it, is, it is awful. This is not a good offense. This is two weeks now of Baylor's offensive line really struggling. Um, yes. Like, Baylor has five wins by single scores. We know that you control things like getting blown out and blowing people out. You don't really control if you win or lose these games that are single score games that much. A lot of it is coin flipping. Maybe 40-60 if you're a really good coach, you have a good kicker, a really great quarterback, something like that. But Baylor, like they're to me, when I'm looking at them, they're, they're a 7-2 and two team, not a 9-0 and o team. That's, that's the quality of team they are to me. Five, five single-score wins, two wins in overtime against T-Tech and TCU, teams that might not even go uh, go to bowls, right? Like, Baylor's pretty fraudulent. But yet, Oklahoma is a good team. But I don't think that they're, like, top five in the country good. Do you? And that means that, like, Baylor could take them down. My it's not doubt, impossible to think. My doubts about Oklahoma are this. Um... So I, on the Sunday show, I said I didn't really know how Iowa State came back against or came back against Oklahoma. I did end up going back and watching that. Now there were obviously the two turnovers that Oklahoma had that basically set Iowa State up on the doorstep. But the way Iowa State moved the ball in that second half was the, a similar way to Kansas State, which is getting out on the edges against Oklahoma. If Baylor can do that, they can have success in their run game, and they can really put a scare into Oklahoma, honestly. And like Bud is saying about these coin flip games, Oklahoma has the trump card in a good quarterback. I understand that. And a really good running back and a really good wide receiver. But if it gets down to a coin flip situation, who do we trust? Who do we trust if this is a, a game that's inside six points? Moving on real fast, I would just like to give a quick shout-out to App State and Georgia State. Um, App, you've beaten North Carolina. You've beaten South Carolina. You had a, a heavily weather-affected loss at home on Halloween to Georgia Southern. You are a very good team, and you are in the G5 Top 5, and congrats. I know you're really worried about that. Georgia State is 6-3. and three. Uh, We would best describe them as plucky. Obviously, if they were to play Tennessee this week, they would not win that game. They would certainly not score 38 points. That's fair to say. However, this is a team with double-digit wins over Arkansas State. This is a team with double-digit win or double-digit margin of victory over Troy. This is not a bad football team. Okay, relative to their Sun Belt peers, they look a lot like their Sun Belt peers, possibly for the first time. So, trap game at best. I wouldn't pick Georgia State outright. It's just something to watch. It's Georgia State's quarterback is out. 
Uh, Dan Ellington, and the backup is not very good. I lost my wager last weekend on Georgia State because he got hurt uh, two plays before the end of the first half, and the backup came in, and throwing-wise, he was similar, but running-wise, he basically gave them nothing, and Georgia State's defense pretty much sucks, so they kept giving up points to Louisiana Monroe, but they couldn't they couldn't match Louisiana Monroe score for score and ended up getting blown out. Uh, I expect App to score at will here, and I Based on what I saw last week in that game, I don't expect Georgia State to be plucky in any way because I don't think they have a quarterback who can match Ellington at all. That was very disappointing. I was like, how the hell did I lose Georgia State? Like, why did they not score any points in the second half? And I was like, oh, Ellington got hurt. Great. And he's for sure not playing? Yeah, he's done. All right. Well, the only thing I can go back then, now that Bud cut, I, I was looking for an upset special. Um, let's just say that App uh, might have a momentum issue if they can't blow out Georgia State. There, I adjusted my narrative mid-podcast. How's that? Uh, Cincinnati's going to be fine against South Florida. Um, just... Boy. Richard, we haven't checked in on South Florida lately. Is there anything you'd like to say? Lost by 10 against Temple last week. Hung, but lost by 10 against Temple last week. I, I don't know. I, there's not really much more to say about the situation at USF than can be said. Um, I am fairly certain that Charlie Strong is going to get till the end of the season at this point. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure that's going to happen. Um, what happens after that, we'll see. Uh, the last one that I would I would mention briefly, we've talked about all these two-year coaches because of what's going on with Chad Morris and Willie Taggart. I believe it was Kirshner, Alex Kirshner at Banner Society, where we were matching their progress, or was it you, Richard, matching the progress of of year two coaches on their win expectancy? That was yeah, that was me. Okay, uh, if you go down that list, do you know whose name that you see? Uh, who? Richard. That would be the head coach of your Oregon State Beavers. Okay, very quietly, they're four and five. Jonathan Smith is doing a good job. Oregon State was a horrific dead end program. We were screaming at them to hire one of the one of the academy coaches to run the option to differentiate themselves in a very tough Pac-12 North. This is a team with bowl aspirations now. They are hosting Arizona State. It's a game worth watching. I would temper the bowl. Come aspirations. on, come on, come I would, on. I would temper the bowl aspirations. But I said bowl I, aspirations because they still have Wazoo and Oregon left. I said I bowl would, aspirations. I would say Oregon State is game. Oregon State can hang. Um, I I'm I am just so curious about the Civil War because if anything would make sense in the Pac-12, oh, it would be Oregon man. State. Oh man! It, it would be Oregon State biting Oregon in the Civil War in two weeks, winning that game and ruining a season. If you go back, if any of you guys, if any of you guys can guess how many yards Jake Luton for Oregon State had last week on twenty-eight passes in their loss to Washington, I'll buy you a beer. On twenty-eight, if you you can get within ten yards on twenty-eight passes, yeah, twenty-eight passes. All right, twenty-eight attempts, completions, attempts. Got you googling? No, I'm not googling. Um. I mean, just by the way you're posing this, bud, I would say something like 100 or no more than 100. I'm going to guess, um, I'm going to guess 185. Godfrey, you are two yards off from me buying you a beer. Good try. Holy 88 shit. yards. What? He had 88 wow. yards on 28 attempts. They had 119 yards total against Washington. Like, I I thought Washington you know, might, like, okay, you know, a little hangover potentially, but... They know Jonathan Smith real well, and they were like, yeah, we're, y- y'all are not doing any of that kind of shit on us. Bud. 50 plays, 119 yards, no scoring opportunities. Uh, Bud. Yeah. I swear to God, if I keep digging around and trying to find interesting games and you keep shooting them down, I'm going to murder you. <laughs> Dude, like, I'm not working Saturday, but if I was, I'm damn sure be like, hey, I'm going to work this noon to eight shift and then bounce because this is, this is <laughs> lame. I'm trying, Bud. I'm trying. Uh, here's the thing. I would throw out the Oregon State result against Washington because of what you just said. He that that's where he came from, and he has uh, borrowed liberally from what Washington likes to do. And so, yes, they were able to essentially identify an imitation of their own offense, um, replicated with about what one tenth of the talent. So, uh, <laughs> that being said, I still think that they could lay in the weeds for Arizona State. Um, 
Arizona and Oregon, nothing to say about that. USC and Cal, I, I, ugh, I don't know. Um, the thing I would like to point out real fast, I just want to say this. South Carolina and A&M, Bud, you noticed this as well. This is potentially a four-win year for Will Muschamp. How is it that up until this point, and maybe maybe it will start on Sunday if they if they really get their ass kicked here, that how is it that Will Muschamp has avoided all of the scrutiny that other other coaches on the same uh, on the same path with the same time frame of wins and losses? How has he somehow moved past all that? Is it just because he beat Georgia in a game in which Georgia shot every toe off of both feet? Yeah, I think he beat Georgia, and because here's the other thing: like the SEC right now is exactly where it should be. And nobody, like nobody's looking at it and saying, "Well, shit! If Missouri can win the SEC, why can't South Carolina?" Like the right teams, if you look at program resources, are on top in the East, and the right teams, if you look at program resources, are on top in the West. The teams that should be the bottom feeders in the SEC are feeding at the bottom this year in almost perfect order. South Carolina has no history of winning; it should not really have a big time expectation of winning. Four and eight is not that unreasonable for that South Carolina program this year. Having fans that show up to your games is not necessarily the same thing as having good teams, as they show almost every year. Uh, so I, I I think that's part of it. It's like, look, okay, yeah, you could give it Will Muschamp some shit for going four and eight, but their AD screwed him with this non-conference schedule in, in playing App, UNC, and Clemson in the non-con. But even if he was like a game or two better, they're not sniffing the the, the East because it's Georgia, Florida, as it really should be. Bud, I uh, I'm very interested to see if your theory is the prevailing opinion, or if the disgust with a potential third Clemson national title, or at least national title game appearance. That's where uh, actually, I that, that would be their fourth. That would be their fourth. That's um, where I zero happens, in, and I don't get South Carolina. How does? Having Clemson doing what it has done over the last decade not drive you to absolute madness. Like now, I understand. Spurrier was great. Clowney, Lattimore, Melvin Ingram, it was great times. But you've fallen off. How are you not paying every Tom, Dick, and Harry under the table? How are you not scratching, clawing, building absurd facilities? Like I, I, I My thing is, if you had that behemoth in your state, dominating the sport and you had at least sec resources and a pretty fervent following of your own in the state. I I don't know. I I just don't get, I I don't get it with Carolina. Um, If the narrative does turn, if they get smoked and the narrative turns, then I will say, okay, South Carolina fans fed up here. I understand why I understand why they're moving to maybe Austin Muschamp, get somebody else, put some money up and, and, and try to take a step forward institutionally to support this program and try to move forward. But up until this point, I, I don't really get it. Like losing to Appalachian state. I understand app state is seven and one losing to app state at home should not be tolerated. Uh, I would like to interrupt this terrible evening slate. And by the way, the, uh, the menu pick is going to be Oklahoma and Baylor. And then you can just sort of lull yourself with whatever else you want to flip around on. Uh, we have a bit of breaking news, gentlemen. Ohio State defensive end Chase Young will be allowed to return after one more game out. So they'll be playing at Rutgers, obviously. No one gives a shit. doesn't matter. Uh, so I would like to congratulate Ohio State for absolutely 110% winning the Big Ten as well as securing no less than, what, the second seed in the playoff at this point? I would also like to thank the universe for giving us breaking news while we are on the podcast, as opposed to after we finish it. I think Um, this would be a first this season. If somebody snitched on Chase Young, they officially have my worst snitcher of the, like, forever award, because the games he missed were last week and Rutgers. Well, you can't be too obvious, bud. You can't be too obvious. Like, I mean... That's the that's the least leverage you could possibly exert over somebody. Like, you're gonna who did they who, play last week? I forgot. But Bud, they uh, they played Maryland. Maryland. Who um who has the current sack record in the NCAA? If you're going conspiracy theory, is it? Uh, who, it's T Sizzle. The current is it? The single season sack record is Terrell Suggs at Arizona State. The official one. The unofficial one um, is like 28 by a former Alabama player, but it's unofficial before they started counting sacks. The official is T. Sizzle. 2002, when Richard was, I don't know, six months old or something, um, I remember this season. I was in college. Uh, Terrell Suggs of Arizona State had 24. 24. Yeah, that's Um, the official on the books record. 
if you should look this up, he had a way of reading quarterbacks' lips to know the snap count. If you know anything about Terrell Suggs, you know that I'm not even going to finish the joke that he was involved in framing anybody because Terrell Suggs will find my ass and it will not be good. <coughs> uh, I'm just going to abandon. I'm going to abandon that entire joke and move the hell on, gentlemen. Speaking um, of Ohio State, but, real quick, uh, he he who should not be named at receiver, uh, yeah. he who should not be named junior, uh, <laughs> is committed to Ohio State. So we're going to have three to four years of trying to figure out how to not address that. I quite literally just spit water out instantly. I saw that, I swear yeah. to God. Do you want to go ahead and let everybody in on that, bud? Ohio State's not playing this week, by the way. Um, nah, I'm good. I'm Let's no, blow I'm, through I'm, it. I'm totally good. All right, sounds good. Bud, give me your uh, look-aheads. Uh, okay, let's go to look-aheads. Um, the ones I knew off the top of my head, uh, it's going to be Ohio State minus, uh, minus 14 against Penn State and 14. Then, yeah. Uh, okay. So these these are from FanDuel because Westgate did not send me uh, their updated game of the year lines, which I usually prefer Westgate's over FanDuel uh, since SB Nation is kind of sponsored by DraftKings in some way, but uh, DraftKings doesn't do that to my knowledge. Okay, look ahead, found on the tab. Uh, Penn State is uh, getting 14 at Ohio State. Oklahoma giving 21 to TCU. Baylor giving only three to Texas. Uh, A&M catching 14 from Georgia. That's actually an estimate I made, so I'll stick with the ones that are perfectly real. Ohio State laying 11 at Michigan in a game that probably doesn't mean anything for their playoff chances, by the way. They can lose that game and still easily make the playoff, I think, as long as they don't get blown out. Uh, Alabama laying 7 at Auburn. That's come down by about 3.5, surprising there a little bit, but Auburn's got a good defense. Clemson laying 23 at South Carolina. Uh, Some rivalry, that is. And uh, Oklahoma laying 10.5 at Oklahoma State. Remember, this is the one last week that Westgate had 17. So hmm. Remember, uh, as we like to say um, at Bear Society about Bedlam, anything can happen. Oklahoma could win by 50. Oklahoma could win by 10. Oklahoma could <laughs> win by 3. But did you say 3 for Texas Baylor? Yeah, Baylor by 3. I'll take that. Give me Texas. With which side? Yeah, I'll take Texas. Yeah. I'll take Texas. Well, that feels a little funky. I have we'll Baylor after this weekend. I, I have Baylor plus one in, in the futures market there against Texas. So if I can get Texas plus three, that's uh that's a nice little potential hedge. Uh I was ready to you know, I was ready to scold uh, fourteen for Penn State, Ohio State, and then Chase Young came back and who knows, maybe it's seventeen. We'll see after this weekend. Uh gentlemen, that is a uh a week twelve that starts strong and ends no comment. Um, and then I will see you back next week. Just a little teaser. We may shake things up because it is the SoCon Challenge weekend next week. Um, it's not our fault, okay? So, you know, don't blame us. But we may change up the format a little bit to keep things spicy because I don't know if you've looked at that schedule yet, but it is uh, significantly less than spicy. Boys, I'll see you next week. <laughs>